right. Hey, good morning. How you guys doing? Awesome. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor. For those of you that do not know me, I want to welcome everybody that is watching us on Facebook Live and who's going to watch us throughout the week through our website. Thank you for staying connected to Passionate Life Church. All right. Hey, we've got an awesome guest speaker today. His name is Pastor Isaac. And uh, the, man, his ministry, Urban Outreach, is very close to us here at Passionate Life Church. Uh, if you ever want to get involved, our, uh, our Thursday is the third Thursday of every month. We go down as a church to downtown Denver. And we, uh, Pastor Isaac and, and Jamie, what they do is they, they do a dinner church, okay? And they feed... None of them, all of them are homeless, but all of them are struggling, okay? And, and man, they feed them a gourmet meal. Come on, they're the hands and feet of Jesus. It's an amazing experience if you've never done it. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you want more information, go to our Welcome Center and, and ask how you can be involved. The third Thursday of every uh, month is, is Passionate Life Church's uh, Thursday, where we get to go down and serve uh, our community. All right, Pastor Isaac, he's a great preacher. Man, he's a great missionary uh, for God. Give him our our best Passion of Life Church welcome this morning. Come on, Pastor Isaac. Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Well, thank you for that. God bless you. How are we doing today? Doing all right? It's really good to be here at Passionate Life Church again. I want to th- say thank you so much for the honor and the privilege of uh, just getting to be a part of what's happening here. Uh, I feel like we've locked arms, we, we're, we're advancing God's kingdom together, and it's truly always a privilege to be here and to preach the Word of God. And so I am very thankful for uh, just what God has been doing among all of us together. Um, today I hope to share a little bit um, of a kind of a foundation for missions, and I know uh, that, you know, every time I come here it's missions some way or another, but I hope to kind of maybe back things up a little bit today and share a little bit of a biblical foundation, not only for why I believe so strongly in missions, but really why we should all be involved. Um, so I'll do probably just as much teaching today as preaching, but um, we know that um, we'll kind of get things flowing here, and I'll be screaming before too long. So with that being said, I want to just kind of open it up this morning by asking a couple of questions. What do we think about when we think about missions, I mean, do we simply kind of go to um, acts of kindness, acts of service? Do we think about charity? You know, one of the things I say all the time um, at Urban Outreach is that what we do, it's not charity. It looks a lot like charity, right? We give away, um, you know, boatloads of socks and blankets and sleeping bags and shirts and pants and shoes and, and of course, food and hygiene. We give a lot of stuff away and then that's charitable and as the church we do lots of things you guys do lots of things for your community and for our city and those things certainly are charitable but are we in the charity business as the church is that is that what missions means is that just kind of a church word for charity i would like to talk more about that this morning and say that it goes much further than that living on mission how do we read the bible missionally like, are there certain parts of the Bible like, that are the, you know, quote, missions sections of the Bible? You know, how do we interpret the Bible missionally? How can we come to a more clear understanding of what missions is 
and how we are able to be involved. I want to go back here before we go forward. The first thing I want to share this morning is that it's important to remember that the Bible doesn't try and make the case for the existence of God, okay? The Bible presupposes the existence of God, okay? When we read the Bible, let's not read the Bible from the standpoint that this Word of God is trying to make the case that there's a God who exists. The Word of God comes to us presupposing God's existence, So in other words, when we come to the Word of God, we are already past the question, does God exist? Okay? I think too many times we come to the Word of God looking to find passages, and certainly there are many passages that will, you know, give us that foundation, say, you know, there is a God and here's why, but the Bible wasn't written to us and wasn't given to us and handed down to us so that we could look to it to try to prove God's existence. It begins with the assumption that there is a God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible itself is a collection of texts that often reflect the struggles of being a people with a mission in a world of competing cultural and religious beliefs. The writings in the Bible are in themselves a missional phenomenon. The Bible in and of itself is a missional phenomenon. So there aren't portions of God's word that we're able to turn on and turn off to say, well, this is about missions, this isn't. This book is a missional phenomenon. I can think of one of the greatest examples would probably be uh, the Apostle Paul's writings. Right? I mean, you know, all throughout the New Testament, it's dotted with, with letters from the Apostle Paul and if you, if you think about it, you can slice right through them and you see a cross-section of missions in action. Paul's writing these letters to address issues that were, you know, very specific things pertaining to specific churches in specific locations for specific times. This is missions in action. But it's not just in the New Testament. It's in the Old Testament as well. The Word of God comes to us as a missions phenomenon. So then by the time we get to passages, you know, like the Great Commission, it's easy to see missions in action in this particular passage. I want to read the Great Commission this morning. This is our text, Matthew 28. I'll read verses 18 through 20. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'd like to see if we can, and we're not going to dissect the text this morning, but you see on the second line the word therefore. If we could take that word therefore, take that word out and replace it with the word since, and put it at the beginning of Jesus' quote, This is what Jesus is saying. Since I've been given all authority, right? Since I have been given all authority, go and make disciples. Do you see the presupposition of authority there? The assumption of authority is there, okay? It implies a mandate or a command. Go. On a certain level then, our involvement in mission is a matter of obedience to the authority of Scripture itself. It's an easy jump to make. 
We tend to subconsciously associate our understanding of the Bible's authority with obedience to its commands. Kind of like in the military. There is this understanding. You obey your commanding officer. Those commands come down from the higher-ups. No questions asked. You have sworn to carry out those orders. And so we associate the authority of the Word of God with our obedience to its commands. Does that make sense? The explicit commands. When the Bible tells us, do this, do this, don't do that, right? Don't do this. That's kind of how we interplay with the Word of God in terms of how we give it credence or authority in our lives. And of course, there are many commands throughout Scripture. But what do we do about the parts of the Bible that aren't commands? You see, because the fact of the matter is, most of the Bible is not commands. The bulk of Scripture are not commands. The bulk of Scripture contains songs, prophecy, lament, narrative. There are many, many parts of the Bible. Most of the Bible is not explicit commands. So then how do we know what to do? In those cases when we're reading Scripture and, and we're not given that explicit, do this, live this way, don't live this way, don't go to these types of places, right? You've heard me say here before that being a Christian involves so much more than just what to do or what not to do, right? How to be a good person or, or, or I used to be a bad person, now I want to be a good person. No, 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 it's about we were once dead, now we're alive in Christ. And there's so many parts in the Word of God that, that are not going to explicitly tell us, right, don't do this. So then how do we give those other parts, the bulk of Scripture, how do we give them authority or how do we submit to that authority in our lives? Is this even what the Scripture was intended to do? Well, I want to submit to us today that it's become so easy for so many to relegate the authority of God's Word to just the basics, right? Just the explicit commands, the Ten Commandments, the Beatitudes, because we've too narrowly defined God's authority. As a result, our understanding of mission has become too narrow as well. In other words, when it comes to those portions of the Bible that are not explicitly telling us what to do, it can become way too easy for us because of our human nature to relegate those other portions of Scripture to just the suggestion column or the advice sections of the Bible. Unless God's Word is telling me, right, don't commit murder, don't covet, right? Uh, you know, those explicit commands that Jesus spoke in the Beatitudes the other sections of Scripture, the, the wonderfully poetic sections of Scripture become nothing more than suggestions for us. God's authority over our lives is minimized because we've minimized the authority of the Word of God to what we don't know to be commands or what we don't recognize as commands. Think of it like a pie chart, like a pie graph. Like, you know, you've got the whole circle and those explicit commands are one slice of the pie. Maybe even like 15%, let's say. And the rest of the pie are the wonderfully rich narratives contained in the Word of God. Honestly, sometimes the part that don't make a lot of sense at first reading. 
Some parts that are tough to get through sometimes if you haven't, you don't have enough coffee that morning and you're reading in the afternoon and you're just dozing off like, man, God, forgive me for dozing off reading your word. I don't know what's going on, right? There's some tough parts. The question is, do, do those parts have authority over our lives too? So we minimize, like we, we, the, the, the portions of the Bible that are explicitly commanding us to live on mission, explicitly commanding us to, to surrender and submit our will to God's will, that slice of the pie mirrors the amount of our lives we give authority to God. Am I making sense? I'm trying to get this. It's time that we widen our understanding of the word authority. Because the degree to which we understand God's authority as defined in His Word is the degree to which we will submit our lives to that authority. It's impossible to take the Word of God on its own terms and not live a missional lifestyle. It's impossible. Too many times... We don't live missionally, even though we may read the word, because we, we pick and choose how we're going to receive that word. I, please hear me, church. I'm speaking to myself first and foremost. We all must keep this little sour seed almost. Almost a, like, 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 a, like a pebble in our shoe or a thorn in our side. Something that keeps a little bit of discomfort in us. A little bit of the fear of God in us to say, listen, I can't pick, I don't have the freedom to pick and choose from God's word which parts I'm going to submit my life to. We must, we must be willing to submit the whole of our lives to the word of God. That's how we live missionally, when we take the word of God on its own terms. Scholar Oliver O'Donovan describes authority as a dimension of reality that is both the source and boundary of freedom. Authority is the dimension of reality that is both the source and the boundary of freedom. The Bible's authority lies in the fact that it is real and it brings us into contact with the reality of God himself. Here's what I mean by this. Think of it like a, um, a, a brick wall. When I think of a brick wall, I don't necessarily think authority. But a brick wall has authority. That brick wall gives you freedom, either on this side of the wall or on this side of the wall. You have freedom. But it defines your freedom once you try to run through that wall. It exerts its authority. So that wall, by its existence, by its reality, has determined your freedom. But it's also the source of your freedom. It defines your freedom. Church, reading and knowing God's Word is what allows us to engage with reality. That, in turn, functions to authorize and set boundaries around our freedom to act in the world. And too many times, we tend to think, please again, speaking to myself first, that applying the authority, the, the, the full weight of the authority of God's Word to the whole of our lives restricts our freedom. We treat it that way. When in reality, the opposite is true. The reality of God's Word is the source 
of your freedom. It defines your freedom. It doesn't restrict your freedom. When you understand authority, you understand freedom. Specifically, this authority, the reality of God's authority, is what authorizes our participation in missions. It's what makes our mission legitimate and necessary. Matthew 28, 18-20, then, the Great Commission, is rooted in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, we are brought into contact with three realities. The reality of God, the reality of God's story, and the reality of God's people. You see, in the Old Testament, the reality of God is that this is not some generic God. Okay? God is not just some mythical idea for us to to be able to comprehend a greater power somewhere beyond the sky. Okay? The Old Testament God is a specific God known as Yahweh in the Old Testament to the Israelites. This is the God that Jesus called Abba, Father. This is the God worshipped by the Israelites and worshipped by millions of Christians today as the Trinity. This is the God of the Old Testament. This is the reality that the Old Testament presents to us of who God is. So the point is, is that if this God is really God... It's appropriate for us. It's appropriate for us to offer Him our full surrender. If this really is God, if the reality that the Old Testament is presenting to us of this Yahweh God, if He is real, then it's appropriate for us to surrender our lives to Him. The reality of God's story The Old Testament tells the story of God as the story. But it also presents to us a grand overarching story that answers life's most basic questions. Who are we? Where are we? We're people created in the image of God. Where are we? We're on the earth created by God. What's wrong with this world? Well, sin is what's wrong with this world. And it has infected every level of our lives. What's the solution then? Well, there's nothing we can do about it. But God, through His own initiative, has chosen a people through whom He will bring a blessing to all nations of the world. You see, the reality of God's people. God chose the Israelites, not because they were better than any other people, but because He chose through them to reveal Himself. God with a mission and a people with a mission. Israel existed for the sake of the nations. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 5 shows us Israel's mission was to be a light to the nations so that ultimately all flesh will see the glory of the Lord. And church, this future is guaranteed by the faithfulness of God. So in the Old Testament, we are met with three realities. And in the New Testament, these realities are affirmed and fulfilled in Jesus. That's the good news. That's the gospel. 
Jesus is not the messenger of the gospel. Okay? Jesus is the gospel. God didn't send Jesus to tell us the good news. That God sent Jesus is the good news. Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. The New Testament unquestionably affirms that Jesus shares the identity and character of Yahweh in the Old Testament and ultimately accomplishes only what Yahweh could. So what we have with Scripture, we have the Old Testament, the realities that the Old Testament narratives present to us. Then we have the New Testament, Jesus, who walked on the earth claiming to be God. Through the beauty of the narrative of Scripture, we see that Jesus could be the only one who fulfills what was foretold in the Old Testament. See, Jesus shares the very identity and character of who God is. He's not an additional God. He's not a secondary God. He's not even a premier God. He is the same substance of the Old Testament God. Jesus is the God of Israel. Jesus is our God. So to know Jesus as our Savior is literally to know the reality of the living God. In other words, church, missions isn't just a New Testament ideal. Missions is not just something that came along because the Apostle Paul was a great missionary and since it's in the Bible, we should try to follow suit. Missions, church, goes much deeper, much deeper than that. Jesus is the climax of this story and the guarantee of its final ending. This is a beautiful story. And it's also our story. To be in Christ means that we enter in to this remarkable story. We share in its heritage. We share in its future. And we also share in its mission. This is something that was so wonderfully articulated just last week, right? The spirit of adoption into the body of Christ. You see, when we adopted our youngest, Nasea, when we adopted her, I don't know the biology of it, but our blood became her blood. She was adopted into our family. And for better or worse, our family heritage became her family heritage. Her, our family future becomes her family future. But also, our family mission becomes her family mission. We're working in this together. And it's the same thing in the body of Christ. Church, when you come to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, then the heritage of this beautiful story, the God of the Old Testament, the Yahweh, the God that Jesus referred to as Abba, Father, that heritage becomes your heritage. And the future that's guaranteed in Jesus becomes your future. See, that's why we can look, 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 it doesn't erase how you were raised here on earth. Maybe you were raised super, super rough. Maybe it was bad. Maybe it was ugly. Maybe you don't want to remember or go back there. That's okay. You have a new heritage in Jesus Christ. 
And whether you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth or not, you can still look forward to what God has for you because it will always be better, better because it's His future. And as adopted uh, members of the body of Christ, we get to enter into this story and His future becomes our future. But we can't just leave it at that. This story has a mission. This story is moving forward. So when we enter in, we're entering into the river like we say. We're entering into that river and it's moving. That's the mission. We enter into that mission. By opting into Jesus Christ, you opt into the mission. It's not, an, you know, college like electives. That, that, that's not the case. It's the reality of God that constitutes Jesus' authority for the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Right? The Great Commission. Go into all the world. The Great Commandment. Love God with your whole being and love your neighbor as yourself. So then, living on mission goes beyond a call for obedience to the Great Commission. It goes beyond a call for obedience to the Great Commandment. And it goes straight to the heart of God's great communication. God has communicated His plan of redemption to us through His Son, Jesus Christ, who is the living Word. Jesus is God's communication to a lost and dying world. Again, God didn't send Jesus to communicate some message to a lost and dying world. It goes even beyond that. Jesus is that communication that's why i call it the great communication god communicated his love for us by sending his son not to say hey son jesus go tell them i love them the act of him revealing himself through jesus that defines love jesus the same substance of god revealed to us is what the definition of love literally is. That's why we should be thankful that God is good. Can you imagine if God wasn't all good and He revealed Himself to us? Can you imagine? Can you imagine an almighty, all-powerful God that wasn't all good revealing part of that to us, the wrath that we would feel on a daily basis? I'm so glad that God is good. I'm so glad that He revealed Himself to us. See, we need to think of it like God didn't just reveal Jesus to us. He revealed himself to us. That is the great communication. That's what missions is all about. And now since we know we have been entrusted with bearing witness to this crucified and risen king, Jesus. This is why we must submit the whole of our lives to the whole of Scripture. Like two circles, we want them to overlap as much as possible. That's the goal with living missionally. It's not to say that we can live our lives and then partake in missions activities or acts of service. Certainly, we must continue to do that. Certainly, we must look for opportunities to do that. It doesn't negate those efforts. But living missionally, think of it as the Christian definition of integrity. 
It's understanding who we are, right? We're adopted, we're grafted into the body of Christ, so it's understanding who we are. We are members of this story. We share in the heritage, we share in the future, and we share in the mission. When we do this, we begin to understand that mission was not made for the church, but rather the church was made for God's mission, the redemption of the world. Church, missions isn't ours. The mission is God's. And we didn't come first, the church. God's mission came first. He sent His Son. And even before He sent His Son, He was revealed through the prophets. He was the God that the Old Testament Israelites worshipped. So there was already that revelation of the mission. The story began way before we did. So the mission is God's. We choose to enter in. The mission wasn't made for us. We were made for the mission. Missions then, it's more than activity. It's the committed participation of God's people in the purposes of God for the redemption of the world. I'm going to wrap this up by reading 2 Corinthians chapter 5. A couple of verses here, 19 and 20. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The fact that God chooses to make His appeal to the world through us should strike awe, wonder, and fear into every one of our lives. Far be it for us to get so accustomed even to being used by God, certainly giving thanks, but this is the God, this is the God who appeared by fire. This is the God who separated and parted the sea. This is the God of the Old Testament who, who, led, who led the Israelites wandering through the desert and provided for them in miraculous ways. This is that same God. The, the one who, who, raised, who raised the dead. The one who walked on water. The one who healed the blind. Who, who healed the sick. Church, this is our God. So may we never grow comfortable even in being used by God. Even in, in talking about God. May we have a little bit of fear to say, God, I'm not, I'm not fearful of you, but man, I recognize your authority. I recognize your power. I recognize who you are. I recognize that without you, I am utterly destitute. I am completely dependent on you because you have ultimate authority in the world and in my life. As followers of Jesus, may God's mission determine our mission. May God's mission determine our mission. This is an appropriate time for us to finish up by inviting those who would like to enter in and be a part of this story. Listen. God has so much planned for your life. As you participate in mission, as you begin to, to work on living missionally, you're not going to wake up tomorrow morning and have, you know, 
the dots completely synchronize. It, it, it's not going to happen, but we start working toward that end. But that can only start when once we've entered in to the story of God, when we've, when we've entered into His mission. So I'm telling you, today's the day. I'm not saying I'm going to bow their heads and close their eyes. I'm going to lead in a simple salvation prayer. And if you would like to repeat after me, that'd be great. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your great communication. Today, I want to enter into the story. I want to receive your heritage. I want to receive your future. And I want to be part of your mission. Come into my life. Make me new. Make me whole. And teach me what living missionally is all about. Teach me more from your word. And help me to submit to your authority in my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's, let's just give them a round of applause. Those who have come into Christ, why don't you stand with us this morning, church?